Welcome to the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series podcast. Each week, we'll learn from leaders who are driving change and making an impact. Now here's your host, the CEO of the Youngstown Publishing Company, Jeff Leo Herman. There are so many workforce initiatives and innovation initiatives happening at YSU these days. That's why I'm thrilled we had the chance to sit down with Jennifer Odo. She is the Executive Director of the Center for Workforce Education and Innovation at Youngstown State University. We had a wide ranging discussion of one of many topics that we'll be talking to Jennifer actually several times here over the next couple months, hearing how things are progressing. But I invite you to listen in on this great conversation we had with Jennifer. Thank you for joining us. It's time to make a change. So Jennifer, thanks for joining us on the Brain Gain Youngstown podcast. Thank you, Jeff, for having me here today. And of course, thank you for your continued support of the university. Absolutely. Well, could you, could you explain where we're sitting? Because we are here, so Jennifer Odo, Executive Director of the Center for Workforce Education and Innovation. The great news is there are, there's so much innovation happening here at the university. Could you break, break it down for us a little bit? And, Right, and a very exciting times here for, for the university. Uh, we're sitting here over at Melnick Hall, uh, which is just right off of Wick Avenue um, in temporary space until the Excellence Training Center over off Fifth and Commerce is, is finished in, with their construction. So uh, yeah, very exciting uh, to be here. There's a lot of uh, emphasis, as you've seen maybe in some of the recent news with um, the workforce initiatives coming through um, from the GM clawback in addition to the Department of Energy just also released uh, an award to Youngstown State in collaboration with Oak Ridge Labs um, around uh, funding workforce initiatives for uh, the battery industry. Wow, so there are multiple big programs soon to be launching and the good news is we have a series of interviews and discussions we're gonna have over the course of the next several months, but could you just name those departments and kind of set an expectation? Right. Well, the Center of Workforce um, Education and Innovation is really going to have a sector-based approach where we're going to be serving national, regional, and local partners to really help advance um, skills-based learning and skills-based hiring for, the, for our industry partners and for the community. So that sector-based approach is really going to be focused on um, some of the, you know, the Excellence Training Center, which is going to have a laser focus on advanced manufacturing. Okay. And again, that is the new center being built off of Fifth and Commerce. We also have the IT Workforce Accelerator. And if you recall, prior to coming to Youngstown State University, I helped launch that program through right. IBM. And, right. and that is really about bringing um, foundational IT skills um, and getting it in the hands of people who need it the most. Um, we recognize that, especially in the tech sector, um, there were 700,000 unfilled jobs prior to the pandemic. The pandemic has only accelerated it. Um, and, and the universities, um, by the way, are only producing about 10% of the skills that are needed in the tech industry. So this is why this partnership with IBM um, it has been very critical because we know we don't have enough people to do the jobs in the community. The, the third lane, and you may have heard um, a lot of speak about this in the, in the recent press, is the Energy Storage Innovation Center. So it's probably gonna be more of a, a, a longer term. Um, you know, We'll start the planning process this year and uh, probably as we go into 2022, we'll have uh, more to talk about Great. as we start to stand that up. This is it's extremely helpful because we sit every day at the Business Journal and, and try to capture all of this information. So you can only imagine if I get a little confused and overwhelmed, 
and once again, it's a great problem to have. The amount of innovation is amazing. <laughs> so I'm glad that you broke right. that down for us. Uh, so we'll get off of that and, and talk about uh, your childhood. Can we transition to your childhood? We absolutely can. <laughs> okay. And it is, it is a proud childhood. I am uh, the daughter of a coal miner. So coal miner's daughter. Um, I grew up just south of here, down in near the Wheeling, West Virginia border on wow. the Ohio side in Belmont County. And, um, you know, I, I had a great upbringing. You know, I had two parents. You know, I had a mother who was a housekeeper, um, a father who was a coal miner. And, you know, back then we were going through some trying times. This is when the, the coal mining industry was going through a lot of turmoil. Um, in my, you know, junior year of high school, my dad lost his job. Ooh. And uh, my mother had to go to work um, in another capacity. And they eventually moved to Columbus to find work because down in the Ohio Valley, there just weren't a lot of opportunities. And I was faced with a dilemma that I was told I couldn't go to college. They couldn't afford it. You know, my dad lost his job. They were trying to make ends meet. And, and I knew I wanted to go to college. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I was one of the fortunate ones who really found a pathway and, and had the opportunity, paid for it all, to go to Akron University of Akron. Wow. And, um, but, you know, I, I saw so many people from my community who just didn't have that pathway. And as I've evolved in my career here and really focusing on workforce development, I guess that's why I'm so passionate about it because I've seen through the programs I helped build at IBM in the tech sector and through my career that there was just so much opportunity. We just needed to think differently. Right. Um, as a community, we needed to think differently as an employer about how to really uncover those hidden treasures to help them find that pathway. Right, because it sounds like today and, and for historical purposes, if you were academically in the top 20% or so straight path to college, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and we had a conversation with John Zentenbauer. Mm -hmm. Their outcomes are employ, enroll, enlist. And those, mm -hmm. they're making very clear pathways out of MCCTC. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that is still a huge opportunity, right? Which are create, there's the obvious pathway that every, people assume is obvious, but really there are so many that are left without a guidance. Right, and it's, you know, we live in a society where we are basically expected to go to college. Right. And so we have this, this shift in societal thinking that we really need to start changing is that, you know, we know that, you know, education is still the pathway people need to be on, but I think we're, we're realizing there's different ways for them to obtain it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was at IBM, we had a concept called New Collar that uh, Ginny Rometty, our uh, IBM's former CEO and chairman, had coined. Um, and it's really about uh, taking a blue collar approach to what have historically been white collar jobs. Hmm. And we know that there are a lot of jobs in technology, there's a lot of jobs in manufacturing that may not require that four year degree, but could be a, a gateway job to start down a career path. Right. And that career path could eventually lead to a four year degree, but the important thing is, is getting more people engaged and keeping them engaged in some type of educational pathway. So given your situation in high school, mm -hmm. was there someone or something that inspired you that you really focused on, on pursuing education? Was there a motivating factor? You know, I think the motivating factor when I, when I going through my career was just seeing so many of our hidden treasures in our community. Mm -hmm. My friends back home, my friends in you know, college who had to drop out. And I just saw so many, so much inequality Right. And how people were getting to from point A to point B that it just the pathways were there, but people didn't know about them. Right. 
And so I think this, over, over the course of my career, the fire just kept burning to say there's got to be something else. There's got to be another way to help more people find opportunity and access to more higher paying jobs. Mm -hmm. And so your leadership skills have developed over time, and it, and it sounds like it's a great combination of grassroots opportunities, right, and recognizing hidden treasures with, you know, IBM is what the original corporate entity, right, mm -hmm. with the blue suits and the white shirts and mm -hmm. read all the history books about IBM. So share your leadership style or how maybe it's evolved over time. No, I think it's definitely has evolved over time. And I think now as we emerge, you know, we've got a very complex ecosystem mm -hmm. that we all have to work together, right? We can do more together than we can working separately. Right. And so the, the leadership philosophy that I really bring is about co-creation and co-elevation. So co-creation is about bringing all the different parties involved and creating a, a program, creating an outcome that's gonna have the voices of many, okay? So mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the work that I've been doing over my first 90 days here is just sitting down with all of our community members, whether it be the business leaders, whether it be our faith-based organizations, um, our training organizations, just to hear from them. What's important to them? What hurdles are they going through? Um, and what could we do together to create a solution for the community? Mm -hmm. So we talk about co-elevation, right? It is about taking the great work that's already happening here in the community, um, the work through the, the Manufacturers Coalition, the work through the SC, the MCCTC, and, and, and everybody, and figuring out how can we elevate it together to, to reach the outcomes, the common outcomes and common goals we want to achieve as a community. And so those are things like pre-apprenticeship programs, correct? So it sounds like there's a getting someone on the right path and there are points of entry along the way. So every job is not literally four-year degree in computer science straight to a data architecture, right? That, that's one component, right? Mm -hmm. But there are literally steps along the way that can get you to that. Right, there's right? lots of incremental educational approaches that individuals can take right. to get where they wanna be. We, you know, we, we recognize that still 65% of the jobs out there require a four-year degree. But what's starting to change are some of these, we'll call them gateway jobs. Right, gateway So you think jobs. that, um, think of like an IT support or cyber analyst or you know, some of the, the new roles that are coming to the electric um, vehicle industry where they have to have a little bit more skill than just maybe a high school diploma. But there's a, there's a gateway job for them to get into, the, to get into these companies. And there's an opportunity once they get in, you know, they may go on to take another four-year degree or two-year degree. They may go on to do an apprenticeship, if mm -hmm. you will, an earn and learn opportunity. But it's creating multiple pathways to meet the individual where they're at in their life and learning journey. Right, right. And so, the, so you can get into a path, get on a path, and have, you know, starting as a support analyst, for example, right, mm -hmm. which would be most likely in some form of a phone support role, technical support mm -hmm. role, really service oriented, mm -hmm. but you get familiar with the technology and the infrastructure and what have you. Mm -hmm. And that, um, that actually helps you then stack more certifications. Is there, is this, should people expect these days to not go to get an education and then have a destination, but to kind of stack their process along the way? Again, I, I lead with, we've got to meet the individual where they're at in their life and learning journey. You know, somebody coming right out of college who has a strong GPA um, 
you know, they may want to go straight on to a four-year degree. Right. And, and you know, we have a lot, a lot of the sixty-five percent of our jobs in our in our in, in the United States still require that four-year degree. But it's for those others who think about the, um, the, the maybe the general studies student here at Youngstown State who um, is coming into the worst markets. Um, you know, without a career, a strong career path. Stacking on some of these credentials could be a way for them to pick up some new skills to increase their marketability, okay? So we may also have, think about the veteran, the transitioning military, the veterans who are coming in who, you know, they may have a, a spouse, uh, a family to feed, and, and going to college right out the gate may not be an option. Right. So we wanna be able to provide them with a solution that will get them the skills that they need as an on-ramp into some of these jobs. So our pre-apprenticeship program, for example, is designed just for that. Get pick up some skills that will help you get maybe that apprenticeship job in some of these with some of the, our local employers, mm -hmm. and then the apprenticeship is really designed to be more of a structured base learning and on-the-job training program that will last 12 months, where they could really start getting not just the learning but the, the hand, applied um, hands-on experience to connect the two together. How soon can you start? I, I think I heard you say before that middle school students can start to apply. So the, the pre-apprenticeship programs that we have are really designed for, I will say, the, the rising junior okay. or senior at high school. So I'm going to say 17, age 17 um, is probably the, the best age for them to start these programs. And it's just the way that learning is designed. Sure. But I do know that there's a lot of programs being created in IT um, and in you know, additive manufacturing for um, the elementary school student and the early high school students. Um, so we, we have a lot of programming that's starting to come together. My goal is to really try to pull it all together for the community um, so that you could see all the different pathways that are available starting with, with the young students mm -hmm. and evolving into those who are advancing into working age. Has, has the community been responsive to your co-elevation and co-creation model? Because that's a leadership style that's very refreshing and, and new, actually. You know, it is. And I will tell you, I have been so welcomed by the business leaders in the community, everybody in the community wanting to understand what they can do to help us build these programs for the workforce. Um, I, I just, and I think that was the draw to Youngstown is just um, everybody wants everyone to succeed. Right. And um, anything that they can do to be a part of it, uh, whether it's meeting, you know, we, we've you know, got a tour of, of Humtown products and uh, their facility and trying to understand what we can do to serve them. And it's not just about um, I've got a need, what is the solution? It's about working together to co-create it and think out of the box. Right. You know, think think big, think bold, and think differently about the pathways we can create for the community. Right, they have industrial athletes down at Humtown, correct? I love it. That's a great analogy. It is a very, a very great analogy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we've been, I, I've been overwhelmed by the level of support and interest um, so early from uh, the business leaders in the community. So needless to say, your phone and, and is ringing and you get Tons of emails and requests, I'm sure, too. We, we have been. Um, and not just here, too, which is um, on the regional level, but we are starting to get some broader interest from organizations outside of the states, which is uh, really interesting. We uh, have an apprenticeship program that we um, established with an organization out of New Mexico because they had an interest in additive manufacturing. And uh, so we helped them as a national program uh, with the Department of Labor, we were able to help support them. That's a great point. So this is a national program, right? The scope Correct. of this program is national. Correct. While it's housed here at Youngstown State, 
the scope is national. Right, it is national and we set it up that way intentionally because number one, we have a lot of employers in the region who may employ em employees outside, you know, whether it be, you know, Lordstown Motors or Ultium or, you know, even the bank, some of the banks here in the region, right? They have multiple locations, multiple states. So we wanted to really be a one-stop shop for those larger employers to say, you can come here, we can help support you on a national level. Mm -hmm. And frankly, my goal is to develop some programs that could be lifted and shifted without geographic boundaries. Nice. That's great for our community and, and great that we can make an influence and impact mm -hmm. from a much broader perspective. I think I want to shift gears to IBM war stories <laughs> <laughs> and, and perhaps leadership mistakes that you've picked up that you've you know, we all learn by our mistakes, and so we all like to mm -hmm. share some of our key learnings. But before we do that, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. The Brain Gain is a collaborative effort, and we'd like to thank the headlining members of the coalition, including Farmers National Bank, Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, and the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition. Also included are Eastern Gateway Community College, PNC Bank, the Youngstown Business Incubator, Youngstown State University, the DeBartolo Corporation, Simon Roofing, and the Mahoning County Career and Technical Center. And we're back to talk about some IBM war stories. Are you ready to go? Uh, I love it. <laughs> okay. Well, no, we won't get into the mud too much because IBM is an amazing organization. It's global. 300,000 300, uh, members of the IBM mm -hmm. business, correct? That is so correct. I'm sure that you learned a lot along the way and probably observed and or maybe had some leadership mistakes over time. So le learning by mistakes, one of our favorite things to do. Uh, so anything you'd like to share from that standpoint? No, it, it was a lot of great lessons learned. And as we continue to build programs where we are really serving those who may not have an advanced degree, that was a complete shift in the organization. Um, one of the things that we, they did early on was starting to remove the, the, the bachelor's degree requirement from a lot of their jobs. Hmm. And we, we now know that 65% of black and browns are immediately eliminated from jobs wow. when you add that degree requirement. Uh, there's a great organization opportunity at work out of Washington, D.C. that just issued this research report. So um, we knew that then, the research now supports that. And so removing that degree requirement was one of the big hurdles we had to really overcome um, to be able to open up the pathways for our underrepresented populations, for those who may not have an advanced degree. Mm -hmm. And so some of the lessons learned is really, you know, we really had to focus a lot on what I'll call power skills. Right. Um, we know that those who are not coming through a four-year pathway need a little bit more experience. They, they don't, they're, they're coming in quickly to these, these corporate programs. So we really put a great emphasis on those power skills, being able to teach teamwork, collaboration, um, communication, conflict resolution. And so IBM had created a new collar professional skills um, badge that YSU was actually offering as part of their pre-apprenticeship program. Really? Yes. So um, other lessons learned, it's again, learning to, knowing that we have to meet the workforce and the individual where they're at in their life and learning journey. As we're building these programs, it's not a one size fits all approach. So we really needed to create a flexible learning model 
that was really going to help the individual accelerate at their own pace. Right, right. So, so a lot of times the inclination is there, the desire is there, but the, maybe mm -hmm. the context and the processes have not been right. in, instituted over time, but this power skills mm -hmm. program sounds like it accelerates people on that path. Accelerates right? them on a path to success. Um, another key thing that we've learned is that mentorship is really critical. And as we build out some of the programs here at the, at the Workforce Center, we are really gonna make sure that we pair a lot of our education and learning with mentorship. Mm -hmm. um, and we're doing that already. We have several cohorts that are starting to launch for our pre-apprenticeship program with different training centers in the community. And pairing that with some mentorship is really, we have found to be a key to a successful educational program. So your experience in mentorship, how, how frequently do mentors have to interact with mentees to make an impact? Is it, what's the pace of a mentorship program? Is it daily, weekly, monthly? I think it, you know, it's got to have some consistency in mm -hmm. its cadence. Um, okay. You know, it, it depends on the type of program. So you know, we've got to have you know, we have virtual mentorships as well. So a lot of our learning pr uh, programs that we're creating, the IBM program, it is all virtual, self-paced, online. Okay. okay. So we, um, as, as, as part of that pre-apprenticeship program, IBM is leveraging virtual mentorship and kind of a crowdsourced mentorship where everybody's helping each other through this um, social mentorship platform that's kind of designed within the program. Right. And we're finding that to be a great success is where you have experts coming in, they can come kind of pop in, answer questions. Um, the training is designed, again, to be self-paced, but we also know that you're gonna have questions along the way. So having that mentorship pop in, um, you know, whether it be on a weekly basis, monthly basis, I think it really just depends on the type of program you're building. Now, is there accountability built in or is everyone more or less self-motivated or self-starting? So we have two different types of uh, individuals coming into the program. Those who have heard about the program, signing up online, going at their own pace. We also have some cohorts that are emerging uh, to bring multiple students through the program at the same time. Okay. So, um, so we have, we're seeing a lot of success with that model because there's a little bit more accountability baked in to a cohort model driven through some of our career and technical centers. Right, it's a cohesive experience. They can rely on each other. They're, it's a shared experience. Exactly. Right, versus independent self-study is fantastic if you're so inclined. But in many cases, I mean, those are unique individuals, right? Right, and right. And as we, obviously, we're just getting launched here um, at, at the university. But as we continue to grow the program, we're going to put, be putting some of those success programs in um, mm -hmm. as part of our standard operating model. Now, will these programs, say, help YSU attract, say, help from an admissions and enrollment standpoint? Do you expect these, pro these are unique programs that... I, I'm hopeful that, you know, you know, having a son who's going through the college admissions process now and seeing that generation trying to make these decisions, mm -hmm. there's so many individuals who still don't know what they want to do, um, and they, but they, they may not have the affordability to go to college. You know, like I said, everybody has their unique circumstances, and I'm hopeful that we can create some incremental approaches where they will get them on a pathway to learning, build their confidence, build their capability to say, I can do this. I, I'm so yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's flexible, it's modular. So I get the impression that some students think it's a terminal decision almost, like it's one decision for the rest of your life. And maybe that was the case. So I have to go to the right school, in quotes. Correct. I and think that felt terminal, but it doesn't feel like that anymore. We are taking a modernized approach right. to education. And I think, you know, 
we've got industry who's driving that, right? We know that the half-life of a new skill learned, or a half-life of a skill, or a new skill learned has a half-life of about three to five years. Okay. Okay? okay. Yeah. So think about that. That college freshman learning a new skill their first year, by the time they graduate, it's going to have half of its value. Right. And that doesn't diminish the value of, an, uh, of a four-year, two-year degree. Those are so important into in, advancing into upward and economic mobility. But what it does tell us is we've got to do some other things to help the university keep up with the needs of industry. And that's where these credential programs come into play. Right. It's really about stacking on different certificates, different credentials that will help increase the skills that are needed. Um, you know, working at IBM, I, it was amazing to see how all the new skills we were, acu uh, you know, learning every year because it was just changing so rapidly. Right. And, but then you also have the students who maybe haven't figured out what they want to do. And I'm hopeful that, you know, let's not ab abandon education. Let's take a first step. Right. It's let's ongoing. It's continuous. Let's build capability. Once you get through that, you've got all kinds of options. You can go into apprenticeship. You can go into a two-year degree. You can go into a four-year degree. We now have a culture where we have to be lifelong learners. Right. And the university wants to be central to helping um, our community achieve that. Right. Lifelong meaning 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Why not? I will have to tell you a story. President Trussell just earned his first digital badge through the IBM program as a design thinking practitioner. Excellent. That's great. So what, what a design thinking practitioner, so that's a badge, right? It is. A, it's it's um, co-creation. It's how we co-create, um, mm -hmm. focus on user-centered outcomes. Okay. And so he went through the IBM training program. He just sent me a note that he earned his digital badge. And Excellent. I thought, but that, again, that's a, a testament to being a lifelong learner. It doesn't right. stop. And, right. and the skills are changing, and he learned a new skill along the way. Right. And, he, and, and given the new environment and to have intelligent conversations with people from a variety of different skills, I think that's great. That's fantastic mm -hmm. to be able to bring that to the table as mm -hmm. a new skill. That's a great example of lifelong learning. So um, we're going to dive into this region specifically. So here you are. You know, we're sitting at Youngstown mm -hmm. State University and you're interfacing with the members of the business community, mm -hmm. what have you observed that, say, this region needs more of? Obviously, we're talking about training and education, but uh, do you see any roadblocks or barriers to our success? I don't see roadblocks and barriers because I'm hopeful based on the three months of conversation. Everybody wants to work together. We know that mm -hmm. there's needs, and everybody plays a role. You know, when we talk about, um, you'll hear me talk about the race to employability. The race to employability has four legs that are really important in creating a holistic workforce strategy. And that's going to be the center of our approach here at, 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 the, at our center here at the university. Mm -hmm. And the first leg of that relay um, is about creating digital access. Mm -hmm. We know that without broadband access, without device access, getting to an educational program is not even on the table yet. And we know that there are so many community partners who are playing a key role in being able, you know, our, our library system, for example. You know, individuals can go there to get access to a computer, to get access to Wi-Fi, and even help with building the, what I'll call the next leg of this relay race, the second leg, is building that digital literacy. We know the jobs 
I used to say the jobs of tomorrow, but the jobs of today are going to require digital literacy. You know, the new manufacturing jobs coming into the area, they've got to be comfortable working with a computer. So we've got to make sure that we're doing what we can to build digital literacy right. as part of our workforce strategy. And again, between all of our community-based organizations, the library, and there's a host of others, we're going to leverage those partners to be able to help us on that leg of the relay. They're kind of our coaches, if you will, on that leg, right? right. And now we get to that third leg, Jeff, which is the education and training. And we've got a wealth of partners. We're not here to, you know, we're, we're here as the center to really leverage the partners that are here, whether it's the Manufacturers Coalition, whether it's the, the technical, career and technical centers, um, what Eastgate, or I'm sorry, um, Eastern Gateway Community College. Being able to leverage the strength of all these partners to build scalable, large-scale programming. That is really the goal. We all have a role to play in the community, and we want to make sure we're all working together to build the educational components. But more importantly, it's getting those individuals to the last leg of that relay, which is an employability outcome. Right. Whether it be an apprenticeship, an internship, a co-op, or a full-time job with one of our wonderful employers in the community. Um, so when you, when you look at it that way, th those are the four legs that we're gonna be focusing on to bring everybody together and participating and helping to stand up our community in a new way. Right. I, I really wanna drill into each of these four legs individually, and I love this notion of the race to employability, and it's a relay race, right, and there are four legs to this race. And the good news is we have several of these conversations planned over the coming months, so uh, we'll be thrilled to come back and hear our progress along the way and learn a little bit more of each of these. And I, and I want to take a minute to actually talk about number one, access. So I just signed papers this week. Call, uh, we're starting a fund called the Digital, Digital, let me try it one more time, Digital Divide Gap Fund. And so we partnered with the Community Foundation of Eastern Ohio and Western Pennsylvania to set up a fund so we're individuals or organizations can contribute to this fund and then we deploy the funds to close the digital divide. So to help with students with Wi-Fi access and computers and equipment and, and so we're, we're putting our money where our mouth is and we set up this fund and we, I, I just signed it. So that, that <laughs> we'll be announcing, I'm teasing this right now, but we'll be doing a full announcement here in probably March timeframe. Very impressive and yet very exciting because we have so many underrepresented in our community that don't know where to start. You know, th th and, and think about that, that stay-at-home parent, right? Mm -hmm. Or not stay-at-home, but think of that parent who is a single parent working two jobs, trying to raise a family. When are they gonna have the opportunity to even participate in the training, right? right? So our goal is about getting them the access so that they could take these training programs that we're creating when they can. And it's, it's really about creating flexibility to meet them where they're at in their life and learning journey as the springboard for success in our programs. And, and uh, my understanding is that there, it's, it's, I hate to use the word employment contract, but you're employed along the way, correct? So you're effectively getting paid for training? Some of the programs, yes. Some of the programs are gonna be used as a tool to help get some of the readiness that they need. Right. Um, so the IT pre-apprenticeship program, IBM pre-apprenticeship program is a great example of that where okay. there's no paid component to that, but they're designed for those who 
are trying to find a, a pathway, but right. don't have it, and they can they can take it on demand as they need. If they can do it in three in in, in a month, great. But they can take six months or a year to complete the program. Um, obviously, we want them to complete it sooner so that we can help them as an find that on ramp into an apprenticeship job. But apprenticeships are earn and learn. Okay, good. So it's 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 going into the employer. Um, learning a, how to do the job while you're earning a, a, a livable wage and also getting be potentially benefits and really helping to get to that next level of career and social mobility. Well, this, I'm glad you mentioned that because we're really clarifying. There's, once again, so many great things happening that it's hard to track all of the different nuances of pre-apprenticeship versus apprenticeship. So this is very helpful. Uh, to close out our part one of our discussion, right? So we're gonna have many of these here in the near term. Um, any leadership books or books you've read that you found that are inspiring or instructive around your work that you're doing today? There are, and uh, there's two actually. One I'm reading currently, it's called Leading Without Authority by Keith Frazzi. And it talks about co-elevation and how we could work together um, where we may have conflicting or competing interests, but how we can work together to co-elevate Wow. and achieve the outcomes that we want. Is it a very thick book? It is not. It's not a very thick book. It's a very easy book to read as well. Um, so Sounds that would, difficult, that would, like a difficult topic. Right. No, but it, it's really a great read. It really right. gives um, practical stories and, okay. and guidance on, on how to really do things at magnitude with complexity, that have complexity wrapped around it. Um, the second book, which I'm sure you you've, may have already read, but... Um, it is President Trussell's series of books. Um, it's, I think, the Winner's Manual, where right. he bases it on, on um, the O and the, the octagon. The and, um, right. and reason I say that, because I, I've read a lot of leadership books, but President Trussell comes from a different place in his leadership. Um, and it, I like to call it, it's, it's, it's the Youngstown grit, but it's the Ohio grit, the Midwestern grit. Right. Right. And I appreciated that book because it really, you know, we've got to lead with our character, and we've got to lead with integrity, mm -hmm. and that comes from a different place than any leadership book can really teach. You're true. That's so true. Great point. Leadership, integrity, character—those are all critical elements in really having a you know a great broad. And, and I will program. close with: it's about leading with love. Right. We have to have a love for the people we're working with, a love for what we're doing, so that it's coming from a true place of authenticity. Wow. This is getting heavy. <laughs> no, no, I'm, but no. You're, you're, you're serious. I mean, it, it, so often leadership and business books, they're superficial, they're commercial. It's how do you drive growth and how do you, you know, 10X, right? So Grant Cardone, mm -hmm. tired of missing sales. Do you, are you familiar with Grant mm -hmm. Cardone? Okay, so that's the opposite, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's just, I've read plenty of those books, right? How to grind and turn the crank and just mm -hmm. take all, take no prisoners approaches but it's it's interesting that integrity character authenticity those are really where we're heading as a business community and, and you have those characteristics built in right and so it's great to be to mm -hmm. hear that is explicit focuses so that's good it's i sorry i had to have a little fun with that but <laughs> I do enjoy the occasional, what do they call, I don't want to use the words, but, uh, well, never mind. <laughs> it's, it's those business books that are very much, uh, you know. Right, no, we have to lead with fun, too. Yeah, right, right. We, we've, we've had such a, a, 
a polarizing year with the pandemic, mm -hmm. the social and racial injustice, mm -hmm. that we all got to come together in a different place. We've got to lead from a different place. You know, we have to have fun while we're doing it. We've got to break down those silos right. and break down the fear and the barriers that mm -hmm. a lot of our, our community struggles with and even coming into these pathways. Right. So if right. we can do that, then we're gonna be in a much better place as a community, as a region, right. and as an institution. Right, it, it comes down to a basic respect and, and having tolerance, and there's so much intolerance, or there's been a lot of intolerance, and if, you know, I teach my kids every day, I don't care if you have a strong opinion, hey, that's great to have a strong opinion, but you have to be tolerant, and you have to be willing to listen to everyone's opinion, and then you assimilate the information and then you can go forward with an intelligent plan, but tolerance is something I'm hoping comes back. And that's why I'm hoping that, um, you know, the, the, the Keith Frowsey book, The Leading Without Authority, the IBM Design Thinking Practitioner is actually free for anybody in the community to take. Hmm. Um, but it builds on exactly what you just said. It's about building things with the individual in mind, right. not with the process in mind. Right, the machine. Exactly. Yeah, that um, shareholder value, you know, has often been at the top of the orchard, mm -hmm. right? So achieving earnings and estimates and where now, you're right, it seems to be more organic. Well, and it's interesting that you raise that because just last year, the Business Roundtable um, came forward with a new, new approach to, to all, stakeholder value or shareholder value mm -hmm. with now what they call stakeholder value. Right. And the Business Roundtable, if you're not familiar, is, is a member organization where the, the world's most influential CEOs come together. And for them to talk about stakeholder value where it's not just about the shareholder, it's about the community, communities we serve, right. um, is really a powerful statement. So, uh, and, and I see that in our community naturally already, which has been really cool coming in and you know, not really knowing the community as well, well you, know, you know, living in the Cleveland area. So it, it was really encouraging to see and embrace that mentality already. Yeah, excellent. Are there any leadership quotes that you refer to often just to keep you motivated? Yes, and it's coming from IBM's former uh, chairwoman and CEO. Growth and comfort do not coexist. Growth and comfort do not coexist. Let me think about that. Well, right, so to feedback on that, any growth requires effort and require, you know, if you're, if you're not stretching yourself and you're not a little uncomfortable, you're not learning. You're not learning, you're not growing. Right. It is natural to feel uncomfortable in a growth environment. Right, so And that's a good it. thing, embrace right. it. So if you're feeling that pit in your stomach, that kind of like, oh, how am I gonna do this? That's fantastic. That's a fantastic feeling. Because right. it's a great signal. You're evolving, you're growing, you're learning. Right, right, yeah, if, if, if you're status quo all the time, it's, it's not challenging, it's, it's unfortunate. But so we should all aspire to feel very uncomfortable pretty much every day, right? Absolutely. To some extent. To right? some extent, to yes. To some extent, but you're right, if you're not, if you're not learning, you're not growing, and, and if you're not stretching yourself, you know, and that's, that's a great... Uh... It's about overcoming fear. And that is one of the first things we have to work with our workforce on, is understanding that, you know, 
it is okay, you know, we have to help them give them a mechanism to, to not fear. Right, right. There's fear or there's lack of confidence and, and there's a, fear comes from a lack of confidence, right? But if you work on their confidence first, right? And then kind of break that, the fear that they potentially have. Wow, okay, we, I think we probably should wrap it up because I feel, I'm feeling like we're getting very philosophical. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and we don't want to annoy our audience. Right. So I, I tend to do that, so I, yeah. but no, this is, I'm really glad we can chat because this has really been helpful. I've learned so much today. And any parting thoughts or maybe a challenge perhaps you'd like to issue to the audience? I would, you know, as a lot of your business, the business leaders in the community are likely listening in. Mm -hmm. um, I know that they feel probably the greatest responsibility right now to help the community overcome all, all the negativity that's coming with this pandemic, whether it be the economic uncertainty, the, the social, the racial injustice. I know we're all, as business leaders, we're all feeling responsible of how can we help rebuild an inclusive, equitable, and resilient workforce in our community. So my parting thought, thought would be for all of those who are thinking that, that we, we have an opportunity today to act swiftly, to think differently, to change the narrative for our community and the Center for Workforce Education and Innovation is here to do just that. We are here to help problem solve. We are here to put ideas into action. Excellent. So I'm sure they can reach out to you and you'll have... Uh... The best way to get a hold of us via email for general inquiry is workforce at ysu.edu. Well, this was, has been really great. Appreciated your time today, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We really do appreciate your time. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. And also, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Those really do help us improve the quality of the show. If you have questions, comments, concerns, ideas, guests you want to recommend, hit me up on LinkedIn or send me an email at j-h-e-r-r-m-a-n-n -N at business-journal.com. I will certainly get back to you. And I do have to thank, once again, the members of our Brain Gain Coalition. Without them, none of this would be possible. So thank you to Farmers National Bank, Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Mahoney Valley Manufacturers Coalition for all of their support. And, and along with them, additional members of the coalition include Eastern Gateway Community College, PNC Bank, the Youngstown Business Incubator, MCCTC, Mahoning County Career and Technical Center, the great team out there, Simon Roofing, the DeBartolo Corporation, and Youngstown State University. So thanks so much once again, and we will see you next time.